Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of the songs we just sang. God, it is such a good reminder when we gather together every week through song to focus our eyes back on you. All of us had different experiences this week, but there's probably some similar things or some tough things, some distracting things, some frustrating things. And so God, it's good to gather together to sing, to refocus our hearts and minds on you. And now as we open up your word, God, we pray that you would speak to us because we don't want to just be encouraged today, God. We want to be instructed. We want to be realigned, transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. And God, we thank you for the gospel of John who gives us such a clear picture of who Jesus is so that we might have life. And so God, as we wrap up this book today, I pray that you would speak to us again. Help me as always to communicate it in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. And help us all, God, to hear it, to be reminded once again of who this Jesus is and then live in light of it. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we are in the very last verse of the last chapter of John. It is hard to believe that we are here, uh, two and a half years in now. This is week 89 of the gospel according to John. And there's only one verse today, but you know, that doesn't mean that the, the sermon's gonna be any shorter, all right? And so John chapter 21, verse 25, I, I save this verse, just one verse for the end, because I like how John ends this letter. This is not the only letter he wrote. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation as well. But I like how he ends this one because he ends it in a way that to me is just like one of the most epic ways to end a book. He doesn't do it in, in one of those real frustrating ways, like to be continued kind of thing. I hate those things. Like, right? It's like watching a TV show and, you know, at the end of a season or a midpoint of a season, to be continued. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be continued. Right? I want to know what is going to happen. I want to know what this thing is all about. And I, I love how John ends this because he ends this in a way where he doesn't leave a cliffhanger. He doesn't like, you know, leave us hanging with something that we don't know. But he ends it in such a way where it just magnifies everything else that he said. Everything else that he said about Jesus, he says in this one verse that just kind of leaves you not hanging, but just leaves you really kind of just amazed at everything and about who Jesus is and about everything that Jesus did. And so John chapter 21, verse 25, I've talked about it enough. Let me read it to you, and then we'll talk more about it. John chapter 21, verse 25, he ends it with this. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Many other things. That's the title of this week's message. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain 
the books that could be written in scene, right? That's it. That's how he ends it. Now, that may not seem that epic to you, but I hope it does seem epic after I explain it to you. John had already given us the purpose of this book at the end of chapter 20 when he said Jesus did many other things that he didn't write down, but he wrote these down so that we might know who Jesus is and then knowing who he is, have life in his name. So that's the purpose of the book. So he already told us that. He already gave us the thesis of his book, and that would have been a good enough conclusion. That would have been a great way to end it, but he doesn't. Then he gives us chapter 21, tells us about you know, him and Peter and that whole conversation we've had over the last several weeks, and then he ends it like this saying, this isn't all that Jesus did. And in fact, if I were to try to write down everything that Jesus did, the world itself couldn't contain the books that could be written. Now, when you read that, you're probably thinking, oh, John's, that's hyperbole. I mean, the world itself, this is a pretty big world, right? I mean, the world, you're talking about the world couldn't contain these books? I mean, I don't know how much you travel the world, but just traveling Georgia, I mean, you go like south of Atlanta, right? You get down to the south Georgia where there's a bunch of farm fields, right? And where you can just see for miles and miles and miles. You're like, that's a lot of land down there. And you're saying that land couldn't hold the books that could be written about Jesus? I mean, Jesus only lived 33 years. And he only did ministry for three years. So you kind of think, okay, John's being hyperbolic here. He's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, Jesus did a lot. And and if I could write it down, I mean, I suppose the world couldn't hold it. We're just talking about South. Think about the ocean. Think about the depths of the ocean, right? I mean, our world is way more water than land. And you think about how deep the ocean goes. You're thinking, John's saying the oceans couldn't contain all the books, I mean, I'm from Texas, I've said that many times, but I grew up in East Texas, and East Texas looks a lot like North Georgia, hilly trees, but you get down to West Texas, we used to joke that God ran out of things to create. Because you get out in West Texas, man, I mean, it's like a tree line, and then all of a sudden there is nothing, nothing but fields and old derricks, right? I mean, you get out there in West Texas, I mean, it is just wide open, And you think the books couldn't fill that up? Surely John is speaking in hyperbole here. Here's why I don't think John is speaking in hyperbole. Here's how I think John, in a a large degree, is being very literal here. He's saying, listen, I want you to know who this Jesus is. And so I've written down what I've written down for you to know him. But if I were to write down everything that this Jesus has done, the world couldn't hold the books. And the reason why I think John is saying that and the reason why I don't think he's speaking in hyperbole is because he's not just talking about what Jesus did on the three years that he was here or the the three years he did ministry, the 33 that he was here. Because one reoccurring theme throughout the gospel of John is Jesus 
isn't just a man. Jesus isn't just this guy that you've seen do these miraculous works over these last three years. In fact, in order to understand the very last verse of John, I think you have to go back to the very first verse of John. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start the whole book over again. <laughs> Not really, but I'm going to, I'm going to book in this for you. All right. So turn back to John chapter one, as always, I've got the verses here on the screen and I think you'll get a context of what John's trying to say in his last verse when he's describing this Jesus who has done many other things, many other things. In John chapter one, verses one through three, he's giving an intro to who Jesus is. And listen to what he says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things, all things. Now, when you say all things, what do you mean? You say, I guess it's so smart, right? All things. Now, I want you to think about this. In verse 25, he said he did many other things. So many other things includes or is included in all things. You see where I'm going with this? He did many other things. What are the many other things he did? All things. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So John is saying categorically two different categories. You got the things that are made category, the things that are done category, and then you got the one who did the things. So you got the maker and you got all things that were made. And categorically what John is saying is Jesus is not in the all things were made category. He's in the maker category. He's in the one who did many other things. Now, here's the cool thing. Why does John say in the beginning was the word? Why doesn't he say in the beginning was Jesus? And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Why doesn't he use his name? He doesn't use his name. He uses a concept or an idea. And the, the main reason why most scholars think he used this concept, this idea, is because in that time period, they were all influenced by Greek thought. If you just do a, a history study, a, a lot of what we believe comes from ancient Greek thought. It influenced so much of culture. In fact, most churches who've got four white pillars out front, if you look at that with Greek architecture, you'll see that's how it was influenced, which always makes me laugh. People are like, that's what a church looks like. Well, actually, that's secular Greek architecture. So who said it had to be secular Greek architecture? For us, when we built our buildings, we were like, let's just do it cheap. Let's make a box and put metal on it. There's nothing holy about architecture, right? You're like, oh no, four white pillars. Actually, those pillars typically were designated to other gods. 
So Greek culture influenced so much. And so when John was writing this, he was looking for an idea or a concept to try to explain who this Jesus is. But when you try to explain who God is, there's almost no words that fit. But John shows this idea. And the reason being, I'm gonna read you some of it, and I did this way back two and a half years ago. You can go watch those messages. But in classical Greek thought, this word, word, is the Greek word logos. It refers to, now listen to this, a principle in classical Greek thought which refers to an eternal or unchanging truth present from the time of creation. An eternal, unchanging truth present from the time of creation, available to every individual who seeks it. The divine reason, listen to this, implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. Here's the one line that I love the most. This Greek idea of logos is the one thing that defines and gives meaning to all other things. The Greek concept of logos is the idea that behind everything that we see, everything that's created, there's one thing. There's one thing that defines and gives meaning to all things. And here's what John is saying. That's Jesus. In fact, if you want to take notes, here's my point. This is, if you want to sum up the entire gospel of John, here it is. Jesus is the one thing that defines and gives meaning to all things. Jesus is the one thing that defines and gives meaning to all things. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence, this is why we came back to chapter one, verse one, that it's the word, word. Because if you were going to write books, so many books that the world couldn't contain them, when you write those books, what do you write down in those books? Words. So you guys are awesome. Words, all right? So John is saying, last verse, the world couldn't contain the words that could be written. Why? Because all these words are from this word. All these words are from this word. This word is the word behind all words. This word is the thing behind all things. If you were here last week, we talked about how Jesus went to Peter and how Peter had this messed up measuring stick. He was comparing himself to John and John says, or Jesus says to Peter, whatever my will is for him, what is that to you? Here's what he's saying. Peter, you have to let my words define, and watch this, give meaning to everything in your life. Not John's words. Here's where so many of us get so messed up. We let the words 
of someone else define us and give meaning to us. That's how you have a messed up measuring stick. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it's the image you see in the mirror. Here's what's amazing. So many of you talk to yourself in ways that you would never talk to someone else. I have to remind my kids when they talk to my wife. I'm like, hey, listen, sucker. That's my wife you're talking about. And I would punch someone who talks to her like that. So be reminded. Before she was your mama, she was my woman. And you don't talk to my woman with words like that. You see what I'm saying? See, Jesus is the word. And John wants us to know that. That if he were to write down books with words, trying to describe this word, trying to describe everything that this word did, the world couldn't hold them. Why? Because this word is outside our world. And here's what you need to know. You and I must have a word outside of this world that defines us and gives meaning to everything. Look at verse four of John 1. John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, John is trying to send a clear message. There's only one word that has life in it. And that life better be your light. Because every other word, watch this, will get swallowed up in darkness. This is the one argument. This is the one argument that no one can refute. See, the biggest temptation all of us have, all of us, it's the same temptation, is to have something or someone that defines us and gives meaning to us that's not God. In fact, that was the original temptation for Adam and Eve. And, and here's where we all make our mistake. We make our mistake thinking that sin in and of itself is just doing something bad or wanting something bad. But if you go back to creation, Adam and Eve, God didn't create anything bad. We know that because the Bible tells us every day he made something, that's good. That's good. It's like God's making something like, oh, y'all see that? That's good, y'all. That, I mean, whoo. And then he gets to the end, day six, makes man and woman. He's like, y'all, that's very good. And then he sits back and kicks his feet up and just enjoys it. Then Adam and Eve, they had one command, or two, be fruitful and multiply. Second one, don't touch that tree. The tree that God told them to touch, was it bad? No, because God made it. But then Satan comes along and he says, you can't trust the word of that guy. 
He's holding out on you. Here was the sin, and here's what I need you to hear me say. Here is the sin behind all sin. The sin behind all sin is thinking that the word or the way of someone else will make you happier than God can. That's the sin behind all sin. So Adam and Eve didn't crave a bad thing. Watch this. They took a good thing and made it a God thing. That's called idolatry. And Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. By Calvin, I mean Calvin Hobbes, the cartoon, although that's great, all right? Talking about the theologian. Here's what you're gonna be tempted, here's what I'm gonna be tempted to do. Take a good thing, like marriage, like kids, like money, like work, like success, like a platform to preach on and make it the ultimate thing. That, watch this, defines us and gives meaning to all things. See, I mentioned my wife earlier, and I need y'all to know, I love my wife. She's here. We've been married 21 years. It's been 18 of the greatest years of my life. (laughs) It's a joke. I love her. There is no person on this planet that I love more than her. But she is not the light of my life. She's not the light of my life. I love my kids. After her, there's no two people on the planet that I love more than Jackson and Natalie Gertis. I would sacrifice my life for all three of them as any good man should. But my kids are not the light of my life. I love pastoring and preaching and leading, and I love you. I love Revolution Church. One of the greatest honors of my life outside of being a husband and being a dad is pastoring this local church. But you are not the light of my life. Here's why that's so important to distinguish. Because my marriage, my kids, and this church, death beats all of them. Darkness will eventually overcome all those lights. My marriage will end. My kids will end. My time as leader of this local church will end. None of them are eternal. That's why John says his life is the light. See, listen to me, church. There's only one person that can be the light of your life. Because there's only one person who overcame darkness. There's only one person who has the power, watch this, to define, create, and give meaning to all things. 
That's Jesus. Jesus is the light of my life. Jesus is the first love of my life. And that's what John wants us to see. John wants us to see if we have Jesus as the light of our life, he will dwell in us. And that light will overcome darkness. I didn't have time, but verse five and six, verse five gets into that. The light has shown in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, eventually darkness will overcome a marriage. One of us, both of us will die. Statistically speaking, it'll be me first. And partly because I'm pastoring y'all. That was a joke. I'm glad you left. But Jesus is clear. We will not be married in eternity. Which is why, listen to me, which is why it is insane to let the one thing that defines you be your sexual identity or gender or relationships or marriage, or kids, or work. None of that will be in eternity. Now, I'm not saying you won't, I, I do believe we will know people in eternity because we'll still be us. But we will not have those kind of relationships. I will not be married to Lindsay in eternity. I will not have the things that I have now in eternity other than my relationship with Jesus. That's why we have to give glory to him and him alone. In fact, if you're taking notes, my second point, this glory idea comes from this Latin phrase called sole deo gloria. Sole means alone or only. Deo, God, Gloria, glory. It's a Latin term for glory to God alone. I've told you this many times, but the concept of glory in Hebrew and Greek is the concept of weightiness. You give glory to the person who's the weightiest, which I'm just trying to be more glorious, y'all. Isn't that interesting, though, how that changes? Back in the day, in the 50s and 60s, the size that women wore was completely different than now because we've gone the other way. In fact, if you do any traveling around the world, the skinnier that ladies are, the least healthy they are. Because when you're starving for food, you don't want to be skinny. They call it healthy, and by healthy means they got some meat on the bones. In fact, one time when Lindsay and I traveled to Africa, we told a girl she looked skinny and she got mad. She's like, that's, that is not a compliment here. Like, oh yeah, because you don't eat most days. The concept of glory goes together with weightiness. Here's why. Because whatever is weightiest wins. Think about it like this. If a rock comes in contact with an egg, who's gonna win? Or what's going to win? 
the rock every time. Why? Because the rock is weightier than the egg. So think about it like this. The rock is darkness and death. The egg is anything besides God that you hold up as the one thing that defines and gives meaning to all your things. Marriage, kids, work, health is an egg, all going to get crushed by the rock of darkness and death. So what you need is a more weightier rock. You need a meteor. Or you need the guy who created the meteors. This is why it's the philosophical question. Can God create a rock that he can't pick up? No. Because he's bigger than anything he made. And by definition, when he makes something, he's outside of it, and it would always lose to him because he's weightier than it. So the concept of God having glory and us giving God glory, watch this, is us saying there's no one weightier than you. And then, watch that, applying that to your life. See, we talk about when somebody wants to come into a situation and act in charge, they start throwing their what around? Their weight. They start throwing their weight around. Which, thank goodness, even though I am the lead pastor here, I'll also weigh more than everybody on staff. <laughs> See, throwing your weight around is you're putting weight to your words. Well, Jesus is the word, and he's also the weightiest one. He's the most glorious one. And that's why it's so important for you and I to listen to the message of John and make a decision today to say, Jesus is gonna be the only thing that defines and gives meaning to everything. Because he's the weightiest word there is. He's the most glorious word there is. His words must define my worth. That's what it means. Now, so many of us, again, just like Adam and Eve, fail to do this because we think us or someone else is the light. which I've just read to you, John 1, verses 1 through 4, and then 14. But sandwiched in between those two, sandwiched in between this introduction of who Jesus is, John the Apostle writes about another guy, another John. And what's amazing about the Gospel of John is he doesn't just show you who Jesus is. He shows you people's response to who Jesus is. And probably the greatest response in the entire gospel of John is John the baptizer. 
not John the apostle, not Peter, but John the baptizer, whom Jesus himself said, no other man born of woman is greater than John. And this is what John the apostle writes in his intro about John the baptizer. Look at this, verses six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We call him John the Baptist, but I like John the baptizer better. He's not Baptist in the way we think of Baptist, although Baptists get their name from this, the concept of baptism by immersion. Verse seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Here is the crucial verse, number eight. He was not the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light. He was not the light of life. See, the greatest thing you and I can do today is a two-part realization. There is a light, and it's not me. There is a light. There is a light of my life, and it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not you, and it's not you. It's Jesus. See, the greatest thing that I think someone could say about me is what I'm not. There was a man sent from God named Jason. He came to Canton, Georgia to bear witness about the light that all in Cherokee and Pickens County might believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. See, that's the greatest thing we can realize. And that is the message of John. Jesus is the light. That's why he can be the only thing, the logos, the one thing that defines everything. And one of the greatest temptations, and, and this is what's crazy, and I don't think it's unique to pastors, but it definitely happens to a lot of pastors, is... We stand on stages with lights shining down on us. And we speak to you about God. And one of the greatest temptations in my life is the same temptation in your life, but it works a little differently in the sense that I can start to think I'm the light. You can start to think I'm the light. And this happens all the time. And so it's so important for me and for you and for all of us to step out of the light, right? In fact, I think one of the worst things that can happen to you is you get put in leadership way too soon. Because long before we had phones that took pictures instantly, we had to take a photo and then we had to go turn it in somewhere. This is crazy, I know. 
And then they went and took those things and put it on a negative. And it had to develop in the what? The dark. See, I think the worst thing that's happened to some of us, we've been put into the light too soon. And we didn't get developed in the dark. We didn't get developed in obscurity. I don't think it's any coincidence that for 30 years, Jesus didn't do ministry. He was being developed in the dark, in the obscurity of Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And if you've been there, you'll see. It's a rat hole. See, so many of us resist this darkness. And it's amazing. Jesus, in his ministry, he had a habit of getting up before the light and spending time with God in the dark because he's being developed. So, so many of us have bought into this illusion that somehow we or something else is the light and we have to step away and be developed in the dark. The reason why I'm saying this is I want to tell you, our church, about something I'm doing this summer to actually apply this principle in my own life. Those of you that have been around here for the last several years know that every summer I take a four-week preaching break. I started this in 2018, I'm pretty sure, so the last five years, with the exception of 2020, because that was a crazy year, I'll take four weeks off, and it's not a vacation, although I normally take a vacation with my family, but it's a preaching break where I just take a break from preaching so I can spend time with God, pray, work on our church, think about messages and series and things that God wants to do in the future. So it's kind of like me, like Moses going up on the mountain 40 days with God. And a pastor mentor of mine, back Pastor Brian, who spoke here at our Abide Nights back in January, told me about this, how this needed to become a regular rhythm in my life. So I started doing it. It's been amazing. But also in pastoral world, pastors typically every seven years will take what's called a sabbatical. And a sabbatical is a longer break. And, and pastors do this because there's a season typically every seven years, and it comes out of the biblical principle of a sabbatical year for the land, where you take a break, and it's not a vacation, but you work on things. So this summer, I'm going to extend my four-week preaching break to a 10-week sabbatical. It'll start next week. It'll go through June and July. And I want to give you some details about this. One, to create clarity for people, because as I'll say in a second, things get confusing, and I understand that. But this is not a 10-week vacation for me. Again, although I will take a week of vacation with my family. But during this 10 weeks, I'm going to do three specific things. And I've already lined all these out. Our board has walked through all this with them. Again, advice from other pastors. One week during this break, I'm going to spend with a counselor slash coach and work on myself. Just work on my own life. 
Not because, now listen to me, not because anything is massively wrong with me or my marriage or the church. For those of you that have cars, you understand that regular maintenance is important so that the engine doesn't blow. So this is a time for me, and, and I talk about counseling all the time. See counselors, and I've always seen counselors. But this is a time for me just to work on my own life and leadership. My own personal life. Just me as a Christian, not me as a pastor. Then another week, Lindsay and I are going with a guy who has been an influence in my life for a long time, even before I came to church here. And we're gonna spend some time with him together, working on a life plan, life coaching, just, hey, what are our goals as a family, marriage, family? Then a third week, I'm gonna spend with one of my heroes in ministry that I've got to spend some time with, but it's not like I know him personally. I've just read almost all of his books on leadership. So it's kind of concentric circles, myself, my marriage and family, my leadership. And this is why I'm doing this. I wanna be clear about this as well. I will not be preaching anywhere and I will not be interviewing for any jobs anywhere. All right, so that's not the goal of this. So you don't have to worry about that. My goal is to come back and continue to pastor Revolution Church if the Lord wills for the next 20 years. So yeah, thank you. Because it's important for me to step out of the light and be developed and meet with people that are smarter than me, wiser than me, give me influence and counsel in my life. And so I want you to know this is me trying to live out this principle in my own life. So this summer, what we will do as a church, again, during these 10 weeks, I'm super excited about this. Next weekend, we'll actually have what's just become a regular rhythm for us, a worship weekend where we have extended time of singing. We take communion together, prayer time. It's always a powerful time in the life of our church. Then we'll do an eight-week series through parables, different parables that Jesus taught on. And four of those weeks will be taught by pastors and ministers on our staff who you already know. And then I'm really excited about this as well. Four of those will be taught by church planters that we're bringing in that our church has or is directly funding to help plant churches. Two of them are local guys here in Georgia. One is in the United States who's planting a church in Texas. I'm super excited about that. And another one is a guy who is planting a church internationally in Scotland. Now, he's not Scottish, so he won't have the accent, all right? So... But, I mean, he's been living there for a while, so maybe he'll pick up on some of it. So I'm super excited for those guys to come and preach because all these guys we have supported and are supporting financially, relationally, coaching. I've had a big impact on them. They've had a big impact on us. Then we'll end the summer with another worship weekend, closing that out, and then I'll be back, Lord willing, in August, teaching a series hopefully on stewardship, talking about how to steward your life. And then after that, more than likely, we'll jump into another book. Don't know which one yet. Praying about it. We'll see. But I'm taking this extended sabbatical break again so that I can set the example for you because that is part of my role. Just like I'm to set an example for my wife, for my kids, for our church. Because I want to have a faithful 
and hopefully fruitful ministry like John the Baptist who came to bear witness about the light, who came to tell people about Jesus because that's the mission of our church, right? Love Jesus, grow people. Now, the reason why I'm saying this to you, one, so that you can know, but two, so that you can do three specific things during this time for our church. I've got these three here on the screen. Here's what I'm asking for you. Number one, pray for me and my family. That always sounds a little weird, but it shouldn't. Because when I'm asking you to pray for me, I'm asking you to ask God to help. It's never wrong to ask for help, which again is one of the reasons why I'm going and getting coaching in these specific areas because I want to be the best version of myself. I want to be the best leader I can be. I want to have the best marriage, the best family. I, I want to be faithful and fruitful. And so I'm going to ask you to pray for me and my family during this time. Secondly, pray for our church. I'm super excited about the ministry that our church does. And here's the best thing about it. It's not dependent upon me. Because our vision is multiplication. We want to multiply disciples, leaders, campuses, churches. That's our vision. And so we've got more than capable staff and team members. But a lot of my pastor friends don't take these breaks because they're afraid of what might happen when they leave. Because the Satan, the Satan, the devil loves to distract and disrupt so that he can destroy. So pray for our church. There'll be no distractions through this time, no disruptions. There's a lot of amazing things going on. Mission camp, give a kid a chance, all kinds of amazing things will continue to happen in our church. So I trust our staff and our team members, and that's what's amazing about this time. But pray for our church. Pray that God would protect the unity of our church, that we'll continue to do the ministry that we do. Just keep rocking on. And then thirdly, stay. So pray, pray, stay. Not pray, eat, love. Pray, pray, stay, all right? Stay engaged through attending, serving, and giving. Stay engaged through attending gatherings. Listen, I already told you, four of our pastors and ministers will be preaching, four church planner pastors will come in and preach. I want you to encourage and cheer them on. Let them know. When they ask you to say something, say it. They don't ask you, don't. All right, come out, cheer for them, yeah. Here's what's amazing. Our church planners that are coming in, one of them has spoken here before, another one I've introduced to you before, but a couple are new, and, and they know all about Revolution Church because of how we've given to them, supported them, and so I want them to come and have a great experience with our church. And then secondly, serve, continue serving. The summer is a great time to jump in and serve. A great time to join a team. A great time to get plugged into the life and ministry of our church. And this is what's so amazing. Through the ministries and things and outreaches that we do, people just jump in and serve all the time. Keep doing that. And then thirdly, keep continuing to give. Because your giving is what empowers everything that we do as a church. And you're such a generous church. And so as I was wrapping this up this week and thinking about closing out, John, it just was amazing to me as I wanted to tell you the message of John 
of who Jesus is. And then sandwiched right in between there is this whole part about John the Baptist. And I thought, you know, this is so important. This is, this is the message I need because the point of this 10-week sabbatical break is for me to step away and make sure that Jesus is the one thing that defines and gives meaning to everything in my life. The one thing can't be me preaching, leading my family, even my health, my longevity. The one thing must be Jesus. And so I'm telling you my plan, okay? This is my plan, and you're in on my plan to make sure that Jesus is the one thing in my life. So let me ask you this question. What's your plan? What's your plan to make sure that Jesus is the one thing that defines and gives meaning to everything? What's the, what's the plan of your life? And you probably don't have to take a 10-week break because that's a whole different animal. But you might need to take some time away Spend some time in the darkness with God and say, God, I've put all these other things as the one thing. Help me. And think about your life, your ministry, your marriage, your children. What is the thing that competes in your heart for this one thing? Again, I don't know what that is for you, but what I know is if there's anything or anyone that's not Jesus, darkness will beat it. So Jesus must be the light of your life, not many other things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the ministry of the apostle John. For the witness, John the Baptist, and how they faithfully told us and others about who you are. So many of us are here today because of their witness. But God, I know there are people listening and watching today that don't have Jesus as the one thing, the one thing that defines everything. And maybe. They've been going through it and that's been your way of reminding them this isn't the thing. Marriage isn't the thing. Kids aren't the thing. Work's not the thing. Health's not the thing. All those things can't be the light. It's only Jesus. So if you're here today and I've been looking around or talking and you've never placed Jesus as the one thing, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to trust him. To believe in him and have life in him. So if that's you and you want to trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do this out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, who made all things. To take my place. He substituted himself for me because only he could rise again. So I ask you to make Jesus the one thing in my life. 
I want to trust him. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you're here in one of our physical locations and you just prayed that with me, we just simply lift up your hand. If you're watching online, you can just tell us online. But both of you, whether you're in person, there's a digital connection card on the seat back in front of you. You can scan that, let us know. You're online, you can do the same thing. Fill out the digital connection card. We would love to give you a gift, follow up with you. But then those of us like myself, who you've trusted Jesus. But if you were honest, there's been some other things, many other things that have kind of crept in to that center part of your life. It's not just Jesus as the one thing. He's one of many things. And I don't know what you need to do. And again, it, it, it may not be something drastic or even on the surface sinful. Like me taking a sabbatical, nothing sinful. My marriage, our church, everything. I mean, God has been so good and faithful. It's just, it could be good things that you turn into God things. The idea of like, if I don't have that, I'm not happy. So I don't know what that is for you, but ask the Lord, spend time with him in darkness to develop you and say, God, I want to make sure you're the only thing. You're the one thing that defines and gives meaning to everything in my life. Father, thank you for being so faithful to us. Thank you for the opportunity I have to spend time with you. I'm looking forward to it. Pray for our church, God, that you would bless us during this time. Remind us that you are God and you are working. It's not dependent upon one person or one church. So protect our church during this time. And then God, help us to continue to accomplish our mission to love Jesus and grow people. And it's in his name we pray all this. Amen. Love you, church.